Hi everyone, welcome, I know it's been a long time coming. Uh, second episode of Goldmouth Scramble. Um, and what better time to do it? We're in the midst um, of something very, very special here. England into the semi-finals of the World Cup. Who saw that coming at the beginning? Um, as you'll know, my first episode was... Uh, was on the uh, the it was a prediction for the World Cup squad, the announcement just a day before the announcement, um, and as you'll probably know, a lot of my a lot of my predictions uh, were unfounded, um, and that, and it was unfortunate. I did think Wilshire would go, but you know a lot of the players Southgate's got it exactly exactly right. A lot of the players we all thought should go um, haven't gone, and look where we are, semi finals. So that's fantastic. I also want to talk about some uh, some transfer news as well. I think a lot of uh, a lot of very interesting things are going on at West Ham uh, at the moment. Uh, you know what with it looking like. You know already signing Fabianski, already signed Fredericks, um, Issa Diop as well, and it looks in the coming days like Yarmolenko and Wilshire will also be announced um, so that's you know that's that's amazing stuff and still being linked with Felipe Anderson as well also been linked with Mario Goza those are sort of pie in the sky um, but but very very exciting times um, at the London Stadium uh, but but first of all let's talk about this wonderful journey we've all been on um, is it coming home I think we're all beginning to believe it is. Um, you know, Tunisia game, very, very good. I thought we played really well. I thought we were unlucky with the penalty. I didn't think it was a penalty personally, um, but I know VAR said it was. That clears it up. We can't argue with it. Um, so it's fine. Uh, but, you know, Harry Kane, King Kane once again, turns up for England um, and uh, and scores himself a goal at the last minute. Uh, lots of penalties, lots of goals, you know, not from not being from open play as well. Seems to, seems to be a bit of a cause for concern. Um, but, you know, when you smash past six past Panama, um, you... You've got to be doing okay. Um, the Belgium game was a bit of a disappointment, a bit of a damp squib, I think, from both sides. Um, to me, it felt like a game of two chances. Uh, Yanazai had a chance for Belgium. He scored it. Rashford had a chance for England. He didn't. We lose 1-0. We move on. It was a game we didn't need to win anyway. Um, and as we all sort of knew before the game, I think apart from Colombia, it has landed us um, in the easier side of the draw. This is when the nerves started. Colombia, round of 16, Russia 2018, England, we go a goal up, thanks to a penalty from Harry Kane. Penalty's been disputed, a lot of people aren't happy about it, I personally think it was a penalty, I mean you can't try and you know, get a piggyback off somebody. Um, if you, you know, and it, and it not be a penalty in, in the box, you know, so it's just a joke. Anybody that says it's not a penalty is just, well, is a fucking idiot to be honest. Anyway, we move on. We move on. Last minute against Colombia, the first corner we've conceded. Up rises Mina. In it goes. Trippier's unlucky. Gets his gets his head to it. Hits it. It's the underside of the bar. It goes in. It's so so unlucky. We go to extra time. I thought first half of extra time we did look a bit deflated, but Gareth, that man, Gareth Southgate, he turned up when he needed to. 
he put a bit of energy, he stuck a rocket up those boys' asses, and we turned up in the second half of extra time. We were much better. We created chances in that second half. Um, and to be honest, that second half of extra time up until that point, probably in terms of going forward, was probably one of our most, uh, I thought, our most convincing moments in this whole World Cup. A couple of times we think we're going to score. Doesn't happen. The dreaded penalty shootout ensues. Kane steps up. Scores. Rashford steps up. And he scores. Columbia have scored both of theirs as well. Henderson steps up. And we've... To be fair to Henderson, and you'll know if you listen to my first podcast... I'm not a fan of his. I feel he's grown through this tournament. I feel he's played really, really well. And to be fair to him, wasn't a terrible penalty. But Ospina pulls off a brilliant save. Here we go again. That's what we're all thinking, isn't it? Here we fucking go again. But no. Not this time. The Colombian boy steps up, he smashes it, hits the bar, bounces out. Come on, England. We're still in this. <sighs> up steps the England boy. Up he comes, Kieran Trippier. Cool as you like, smashes it into the top corner of the net to the goalkeeper's right-hand side. What a thunderous penalty. What a fantastic penalty. Up steps your man, Carlos Backer. And in this moment, in this moment of uncertainty across the nation, where English hearts are fluttering, palpitating, this is where a hero is made. 23-year-old Jordan Pickford coming up against who somebody who a couple of years ago was one of the most prolific strikers in Europe, Carlos Baca. He's done his studying, but it all comes down to this moment. <sighs> the nation holds its breath. Backer takes the penalty. Pickford dives to his right. The ball looks like it's he's going to he's going to have dived too far. The ball looks like it's just going to go in, but with his top hand, his big left hand, he bats it away. And there we are. We are one penalty kick away from not just the quarterfinals but from a moment that will forever go down in English football history as the time where old England was thrown away and put to bed and New England rose like a phoenix from the ashes. Eric Dyer against David Ospina. A man who's come under much criticism when he's come on for Jordan Henderson in this game 
In this game, he came on with 10 minutes to go for Deli Alley. Defensive substitution. Can't argue with Gareth for it. He felt it was the right thing to do at the time. Here he comes, though. Steps up. Cool as you like. Slots it to the goalkeeper's right. The country erupts. And so soak each other in blood, sweat and beers. This is our time. This is our moment. Is football finally, finally coming home? We're through to play Sweden. And yesterday, yesterday, 11 young men among a squad of 23, an unchanged side named, but they showed that they'd gone from boys to men. They controlled the game from the first minute to the last minute. Harry Maguire. He's got to be some kind of people's champion, isn't he? I mean, he's just—he—he—he he, was sat there in the stands at Euro 2016, and he's just rocked up to this World Cup, an absolute beast in the air, an absolute beast, and scores what can only be described, in my opinion, as a battering ram-like header. He tore through the Swedish, Swedish marker and hammered that ball into the back of the net right off his span. 1-0 England. Come on, boys, let's get to half-time. We're all still a bit shaky. We're all still a bit nervous. And I don't think that's going to go away, even though we're in the so-called easier side of the draw. About a minute before half-time, the ball breaks to Raheem Sterling. Beautiful ball over the top, sorry it was, from Jordan Henderson. Raheem Sterling with a majestic first touch. Then with his second touch, I feel he does the right thing. He tries to go around the goalkeeper, but just gets it slightly wrong and allows the goalkeeper the opportunity to just get his hand to it. Slows Raheem down. Then all he's got to do with Harry Kane catch him up, catching him up is slide the ball to him for King Kane to smash it into the back of the net. And then we see the reason. Just a minute before half-time, as dangerous as he'd been, we see the reason why Raheem Sterling is just getting that little bit of criticism that he shouldn't be getting. Somebody of his ability. His decision-making lets him down. He decides to turn, try and turn the defender. And ends up going alone, smashing it into the defender. It goes out for a corner. We're going at half-time, it's 1-0. England against Sweden. We don't have the greatest record against the Swedes at major tournaments. We've met twice in World Cups before. They were both draws. Every man, woman and child at some point at half-time will have said to the person next to them, let's just weather the storm for the first 10 minutes of the second half. The Swedes are going to come at us the first 10 minutes of the second half. And that is exactly what 
happened. They came and they came and they came. And the hero that was born in that night in Colombia during that wonderful penalty shootout, that victory, he rose up once again. And he made two fantastic saves. Three fantastic saves, in fact. And to help him out was that man, Jordan Henderson. He missed that penalty, but it shows it shows the, the character the man's got that he picks himself up and he played so well yesterday again. And he made a fantastic block after one of Pickford's glorious saves. A glorious save down to his right. Still 1-0. And then, Trippier gets the ball down the right-hand side. He lays it back to Lingard. Lingard does something that we were missing in the first half. Something that wasn't happening. Trippier was laying it back to Walker. Walker was laying it back to Trippier. Back and forth, back and forth. No ball going into the box. And when the ball goes into the box, eventually the Swedes are set. Those big six-foot-plus Swedish defenders are set there. And they're always going to win that battle but not in this situation. Trippier lays it back, and with a Beckham-esque technique, Jesse Lingard swings in across to the back post, over Kane, over Sterling, and there, rising up, is Deli Ali. That man, Deli Ali, and he heads it home. Our first goal from open play in the whole tournament. 2-0 England. Surely it's just coming home now. Surely we're going to reach the first semi-final. Our first semi-final since 1990. Now, I don't know about you, but I checked this stat yesterday. I checked it. I was three days old when England played that semi-final against West Germany. Three days. <sighs> Never seen anything like this. The final whistle blows... The country goes mad. Beer goes everywhere. I'm in my living room with a few friends. We're all laughing, joking, screaming. It's not sinking in, but we know it's happening. People out on the streets with their shirts off. Football's coming home. Badil and Skinner blaring out of people's cars. Now, I know that I haven't got loads of listeners at the moment. This is only my second ever podcast. But I guarantee each of every one of you that is going to listen to this is sitting there right now. Just as excited as me. Just as... Just as happy as I am. That finally we've got something to cheer about. And the fact of the matter is, I'm a West Ham fan. And I'm an England fan. I have never seen glory. And there are fans up and down the length and breadth of the country who are in the same situation. I have never seen my team, either of my teams, England or West Ham, lift a major trophy. I've seen a couple of playoff final wins. I've even seen an Intertoto Cup win which I love. 
I love amongst my mates to pretend it's a major European trophy, but we all know it's not. Doesn't even exist anymore. So to see England get this far, go beyond all of our expectations is phenomenal. It's magnificent. And for me, from now, from this point, whatever they do, these boys have done us proud. They have done us proud. There's no pressure on them now. Go out and play. You're in the World Cup semi-final. What did we expect? Round of 16, quarter-finals at best? We've gone beyond that. Gareth and his boys have got such a, such a bond, such, such a camaraderie. It's galvanised the whole country. Everybody's happy. Everybody's cheering. Everybody's gathering and hugging. Strangers standing at bars, sharing a beer. All because of you, Gareth Southgate. You, Harry Kane. You and the rest of your boys pulling together. All we asked is for a dream. And you've made us dream far beyond any of the sort we could. And I know that was a little bit preachy. And I know it was a little bit one-sided. And you probably feel like I was sort of talking at you, not really creating any, any discussion. But I don't care. This is the one time... The one time I can acceptably say in this, in a time when being English or being proud to be English holds so many connotations, this is the one time where I can stand up tall and nobody will judge me for saying that. I'm proud to be English and I'm proud of our boys out there in Russia. And what a tournament it's been as well. I mean, let's, you know, enough, enough about England. That's it. That's done. I'm done with that now. We move on Wednesday night, quarterfinal against Croatia. I'll look ahead to that a bit later on. But enough talking about England and, and how proud I am of the boys. Because it's not about those games now. It's about Wednesday night. But what a World Cup, ladies and gentlemen, we've just had. What a World Cup we're having. This has honestly, honestly been, in my memory... The best World Cup I've, I've ever seen. I, think, I mean, France 98 will always hold a special place in my heart. It's the first World Cup I remember. Um, you know, and that was a decent World Cup, but it always be a decent World Cup to me because it was my first one. I don't know. Somebody who was a bit more experienced at the time might say it was a terrible World Cup. I've heard people say that about France 98. It wasn't that great. I thought it was, I, I would always think it's fantastic. However, this World Cup, 20 years on from that, um, has honestly been unbelievably good. From the first game, Russia beating the Saudi Arabians 5-0, to Mexico beating the Germans 1-0, Kroos getting his last-minute winner against Sweden, and then North Korea, Hyung Min Son, pulling in some pride for them. And then getting a 2-0 win, which is probably their, the biggest... It is the biggest win in their history. Over the Germans, 2-0. What on earth was Manuel Neuer doing? 70 yards up the pitch. 
That's the arrogance of the man, I think. That is the arrogance of the man. I've never really fancied him too much. I've never really liked him. A lot of people say he's, the, he's, he's one of the greatest goalkeepers all, of all time. For me, no, the man's got a ricket in him. And, uh, yeah, and I don't like that about him. He's got a ricket in him, big time. But what a fantastic tournament. The Russians knocking Spain out on penalties. That was, I mean, that was a joke. Um, I, you know, I was... Uh, my mum and dad's having a bit of dinner on my birthday, and there's Spain, you know, getting knocked out by Russia. It was, but it was a game that should never have got that far. I do not know what the Spanish were doing. They, you know, as I think was was famously said, famously said by the coach of the uh, great 1974 Dutch team, they went one nil up against Germany in that final in '74, and the coach said, and they ended up losing the game. The coach said, well, famously, we forgot to score the second goal. That's exactly what happened with Spain. They played actually quite boring football, but, you know, the Spanish style, tiki-taka type stuff. And they forgot to score the second goal. And the Russians rock up and they on penalties. And uh, Koke and Aspas both miss. Akin is the hero. Russia are through. Spain, a team that were once untouchable, invincible, suddenly looked pedestrian and weak and I thought that was something you know even if we'd have faced them in the semis like like it looked like it was going to be um, we probably could have beaten them I mean but what a fantastic some of the football alright there's been a couple of games England-Belgium game the France-Denmark game um, Poland-Japan I think as well um, ended up being a bit pedestrian because, you know, each team knew what they had to do to get to a certain place. France and Denmark just drew it nil-nil. Lovely. That's all they both needed. Um, the Polish stopped playing at 1-0 and they were 1-0 up against Japan. Get a nice little win. Don't go home in complete disgrace. Um, Japan knew if they kept it at 1-0, they're through as well. And they did get through the Jap- Japanese. You know, the, the Japan national team. They did get through. And they were up against Belgium. One of the favourites, this so-called Belgian gold, golden generation, who, in my opinion, um, I've always said this, and I've always said to all of my mates and, and anybody who'd listen, I've always said to everyone, if yeah, at, the, at major tournaments, if Belgium get to the latter stages, they'll be exactly like our so-called golden generation was 10, 15 years ago. Loads of great individuals, but just not a team. Not quite a team, and that did show. That showed on in that round of 16. Japan, I mean, were unbelievably, were 2 0 up. 2 0 up, and they were getting in behind, getting in. So many gaps behind um, Mounier and uh, Carrasco, I think, was playing left wing back as well. And then Chadley came on. And I mean, so many gaps, so much space in behind those players. And Japan exploited that perfectly. And all right, the second goal is an act, he spanks it. And it's an absolute blinder. But the first goal is just purely down to the fact that their wing-backs just weren't fit, were never thinking about defending. And that's a real problem for the Belgians. Or so I thought until they came up against Brazil. I felt Brazil were the better team on the day, but the Belgians did what they, they had to do to win. bit slightly lucky with an own goal. A great goal on the break from uh, from Kevin De Bruyne, Lukaku carrying the ball about 50 yards. 
you know, and then obviously Brazil pull one back, but, but Belgium go through 2-1. And they go through to face France and the mercurial Kylian Mbappe. I mean, what a young player this boy is. I don't think I've seen anybody come through at his age um, that can play at his level since Michael Owen. And as I said before, France 98 is always going to hold a special place in my heart. But that man, Michael Owen, what a player he was. And he, uh, that's, that's, they don't remind, he doesn't remind me of Michael Owen in the way he plays. I think they're, they're pretty different players, apart from the fact they both had lightning pace. But it's the first time in, since Michael Owen, that you've really seen sort of an 18 year old kid burst through, come onto the scene and, um, and you know, just prove that he can prove that he could do it and be be sort of way beyond his years, you know. Um, oh, yeah, Killian Mbappe. I, personally, for me, although I hope it's coming home, and I think it could be coming home, uh, the French are the favourites. Um, definitely, without a doubt, I think that's the case with the bookies as well. Um, then I think it's us. I think it'll be an us. I think it'll be um, an England France final. Uh, yeah, I think it'll be England-France final. Um, and you've got to make France favourites in that. I mean, we... we in fairness, we, we had no hope of even getting this far, let alone, you know, let alone being in the finals. You, and you've got to make France favourites. You look at the team. You look at even the players they've left out of the team. Lacazette, Martial, Rabiot. Some brilliant, brilliant players. More that I've forgotten as well. Um, and the player, But the players they've got in the team, Matuidi, Kante, Pogba... Um, Griezmann, Usman Dembele, just 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 some fan- and obviously Kylian Mbappe, just some fantastic players. Olivier Giroud as well, who I think is often you know maybe slightly underrated, not never been considered um, one of the best strikers in the world, which is fine. But because he's not one of the best strikers in the world, but he always seems he somehow seems to always get the goals. He's big, he's strong, he gives him another dimension. Um, they've got a fantastic, fantastic side, France, but I, I just. There's something in England at the moment, something in us that just says to me, we're going to go and fucking smash it. No matter what we come up against, no matter what, we're going to do it. And football is coming home. But, if, you know, I think you have to, if you're going with your head rather than your heart, you have to make France favourites for the World Cup now. But, well, as I say, what a fantastic, fantastic tournament. Um, right, just before we head on to... Uh, I head on to a little bit of, uh, of transfer chat. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about Wednesday night. The big one. First semi-final since 1928. I'd love to know what you guys think as well. Um, so please send me a message, you know, um, or, or, you know, or, or whatever. Just do whatever. Um, send me a message and stuff and, and just, just strike up a conversation about it because I... I feel, despite the fact that on paper, I mean, Croatia's midfield, Rakitic and Modric, with Kovacic to come on as well. Rebic has been brilliant. Man, Zukic is a fantastic forward who will tirelessly run for you and do any job that you want him to do. The man has been playing left midfield for Juventus, for crying out loud. I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty tireless, but they're... They're classy as well. They've got good quality. And they have struggled slightly in the latter stages, actually, to be fair. To draw one with Denmark um, and win on penalties and then to draw two all with Russia, who, you know, don't get me wrong, the host nation is always, always, always seems to have that extra little bit 
um, that extra little bit when they're when they're at a home tournament. However, did not expect Russia to get through this well. They'd lost seven games coming into it. Yeah, they played quite sort of a decent level of opposition, but never expected them to get to get that far. Anyway, I digress. What I'm saying is, is I think that their midfield is good, but doesn't have as much energy as ours. I think Mandzukic and Rebic are very good, but I think our three at the back can deal with one man up top and a, and a you know and a half decent left winger. I think that's what Rebic is really, isn't it? He's a left midfielder, um, well left forward probably, really. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like I just feel like we can deal with it. I don't think, and, and at set plays, I mean. I just, I, I, I think teams, the Swedes were a side that of, of six foot plus all over the pitch, apart from maybe, you know, Sebastian Larsson. Um, I think even he's sort of six foot, big, big blokes, and they could not deal with us from set pieces. They couldn't deal with us. I, I just feel like if we can play to our strengths, um play to our strengths with those set pieces set ourselves up for those a lot you know I know Subasic is a decent goalkeeper but I really really feel like the final is ours, ours to lose um, I really believe I know you know it sounds stupid and but it, it does it sounds stupid and we do it every single time we, a World Cup's coming up we start to believe we start to believe but we often believe on false promises and poor foundations but this time we've actually seen it. We've grown with it. Nobody expected us to do that well. There was a lot of people saying we wouldn't even get out of the group stage again. And here we are, World Cup semi-final. And yeah, all right, the draw has fallen kindly to us. But that, that's only because the so-called top teams on paper or on reputation haven't turned up. And we have. Belgium have, France have. And Croatia have. We're the teams that deserve to be there. We're there because we deserve to be. And that's, you know, that's brilliant. And I really feel like Wednesday night, I just think technically they're good. You know, Modric is a good player te technically. Rakitic is, you know, he's, he's a hard tackling midfielder, but he's decent technically, as is Mandzukic, as is Rebic as well. Um, I just think we've got, we've just got that little bit more pace, that little bit more guile, um, you know. And when you've got someone like Jordan Henderson in the form he's in, um I just think, I, I just, I just can't see us being beaten by a team like Croatia. I, I think they've deteriorated through the tournament. I think their first performance against Argentina was very good, but I think they flattered to deceive slightly. I don't think that was an Argentina team that that was an Argentina team that were lucky to get through the uh, to get to get through the group stage. Um, they they weren't very good, and, uh, and and I think they flattered to deceive slightly, and that was probably their best performance, Croatia. So. Um, well, I think we've grown. I think you know the Tunisia game, the Panama game were nice, almost warm-up games for us. Belgium game we lost, but mentally we've kept it going. Penalties against Colombia, unlucky to concede in the last minute, but you know penalties against Colombia, we won. England never win penalty fucking shootouts, so let's be fucking happy about it. Let's let's, let's just get get on with this now and just it's coming home. It's coming home, boys. It really is, boys and girls. It's coming fucking home. Wednesday night, I am predicting England 2, Croatia 0. Again, just like the Sweden game. Okay. 
Enough about World Cup. Time to move on to some very, very exciting news for me personally. I know there's a lot of transfer dealings going on. I know Man United have signed Fred. Um, they're also, I think, in talks for Alexandro as well. Or there's there's rumours about Alexandro coming in. Here's the thing. Something very strange is going on at West Ham United at the moment. In the same way that something very strange is going on with England. Because we're winning. But we signed Fabianski. I don't personally think he's much better than Adrian. I don't think he's any better than Adrian. But those two goalkeepers are a decent enough level in the Premier League. They'll, they'll push each other all the way for that number one spot. And they're, they're decent shot stoppers. Decent, decent shot stoppers. And I think Fabianski showed that at Swansea. Um, in a very, very poor side, he's been, he was a shining light and he was very, very good. Um, it's a diop. I'll be honest, I'll confess, don't know a lot about him. Um, we got him from Toulouse, I think. Um, and he was captain there, he's only 21. He's a French under-21 international. Obviously, it's a difficult side to break into, that French side. But um, but I think he's he's definitely one for this season. He will play this season alongside probably the likes of Declan Rice and Winston Reid. Um, but, uh, and Obonna as well. So, but I, I definitely think he's that, that's thinking about the future with Reedy. Reedy pushing thirty. All right, he's not old, but his injuries are starting to creep in. Ogbonna's in his thirties now as well. We've got Declan Rice, Reece Oxford coming through. Um, yeah, I think he's one, definitely one for the future and another leader as well. It's nice to have a young leader in the in the team. Uh, Ryan Fredericks as well. Um, I'll confess, I didn't watch a lot of the Championship last year. Um, I don't really know why. I usually watch whatever football's on. Um, but um, but from what I did see, particularly in the playoffs as well, I thought Ryan Fredericks was very good. I mean, there's no arguing it. The, the kid's got pace for fucking days. He's got pace for days. And he's just going to... He's going to keep fucking running and running and running and bolting up that line. And if we're going to play this three-at-the-back system that everyone seems to be using now... Um, what you know? What he's a willing runner. He's got a decent end product, and he's so so quick. Um, and I think, yeah, I think he's gonna uh, he, he's gonna he's gonna be whipping it home. You know, bang onto the spam of Andy Carroll, or maybe the next man I'm going to talk about, Andre Yarmolenko. He's had a season at Dortmund after uh, after leaving Kiev. Um, Pretty prolific in Kiev, 137 goals in 340 odd games, I think, for them. Fantastic in Kiev, been been brilliant for the Ukraine as well. Um, to be fair to him, um, had a bit of a struggle, had a bit of a bit of a hard time, a bit of a torrid time of it uh, in Dortmund. I think he scored, I don't know, not not many. I think it was six goals in 20 late 20s, early 30s sort of appearances. So. He's not had a great time in Dortmund, but he could come to West Ham and he could revive himself. He's still only 28. He's coming into his prime. He's got that, that he's got brilliant technical ability. He's got a lovely bit of guy or lovely bit of, you know, little bit of pace, little bit of skill. And he really, he could really light up the London Stadium, um, with the likes of Arnie, Lanzini when he's back fit, uh, Hernandez as well. And of course, the next man I'm going to talk about, a man, a man that I feel, um, 
just, he's, he's just, without ever being a West Ham player, he's just always, always, always going to be linked with West Ham. Because his family are die-hard West Ham fans. And to be fair, their little boy, their little boy has been playing for Arsenal for 10 years. 10 years a pro. And making his debut at 16 for Arsenal. But instead of going to watch him every Saturday and getting a free season ticket, they've still been at the bowling. They've still been at the London Stadium watching their beloved West Ham. And the man I am talking about, of course, is Jackie Wilshere. Jack, Jack Wilshere. There's a famous picture of him with the West Ham, the, the old Paolo Di Canio, blue stripes down the shoulders, West Ham top. Uh, with that on as a kid, boyhood West Ham fan. And you completely understand his loyalties to Arsenal. He's been there such a young age. I think he was nine, eight or nine when he went to Arsenal. Um, and, and what a player he's been. Uh, injuries is my only worry with Jack when he comes to West Ham because we've had... I mean, we've had Dean Ashton, but that's a crying shame. Andy Carroll's always injured as well. Those sort of, you know, those those Winston Reid as well is going a little bit injury prone. It's just getting a bit much for us. Um, but if Jack, Jack, I mean, he 38 games last year in all competitions. I think 27 Premier League games for Bournemouth the year before when he went on loan. Um, He's been brilliant, uh, and he's, he's a brilliant player. I think he comes to West Ham, he gives us something else. Um, and as much as I love Marky Noble, and I always will love Marky Noble, he will always hold a special place in my heart, that young man. However, Jack Wilshere comes into that team as, as your holding man, as your playmaker, you know. And you've got Coyarty going box to box. If you know Lanzini just in front, or while well, Lanzini's not fit, you've got your Coyote, you've got your Obiang, or you're a noble and your Obiang, or you're noble and your Coyote, with Jack Jack Wilshere at the point in behind Javier Hernandez, and he's just going to be slotting that ball through to that boy all day, and he's going to score us 15 to 20 goals next season, and Jack's going to get double figures assists, I reckon, because Hernandez is prolific. I think maybe I'm getting a bit over the top. But some of these boys we're signing. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho. It's getting exciting. It is getting exciting at the London Stadium. And we've got that, um, I think it's Bal Buena or something, Bal. We've just been linked with him today. Uh, Corinthians uh, defender. Uh, so, you know, that'll be an interesting one as well. Don't know a lot about him, I must confess. So, uh, so I'm not going to talk about him too much. But um, to summarise then, to summarise what I think has been a very impassioned uh, podcast from myself. Um, to sum up, England are going to win the World Cup. Russia, congratulations. What a tournament you've put on. And uh, West Ham United. I'd say top eight next year, maybe top six. We could probably nick a top six, maybe. But we'll see. We'll see about that. Um, but as uh, as for me now, I'll have to say good night. Enjoy the World Cup. I'll try and smash another podcast out between the semi-final and the final. And uh, hopefully, I'll see you all soon. And let's really try and make this take off this podcast because this ain't about. I ain't a professional journalist. I ain't a bloke who 
who's you know gone to college and sat there and and, and done all this stuff. I'm just a guy who, who loves football, loves his club like every like all of you, and loves watching his country do well at a World Cup. Let's try and get this going. And uh, Goal Mouth Scramble episode two, over and out. Thank you. <laughs>